Um, I also see peeking out there the Paul Konerko uh, street sign uh, above your closet there. <laughs> I've got the Paul Konerko street sign. I've got a Paul Konerko fat head on this wall, a Paul Konerko yeah. poster on this wall. I am yes. a big Paul Konerko guy. <laughs> Hell yeah. You are locked on White Sox, your daily Chicago White Sox podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Welcome into Locked On Sox. I'm your host, Sean Anderson. Thank you for making Locked On White Sox your first listen each and every day. We're free and available on all platforms. Guys, you want to know something? I'm not even looking at my notes. I'm just doing this off the cuff now. Look at me. I'm all grown up, Mr. Podcast Host. This is amazing. We're free and available on all platforms like Instagram and Twitter at Lockdown Socks. And you can follow me on Twitter at Sean underscore W underscore Anderson. Today is Friday, January 7th, 2022. And if you listen to the podcast on Wednesday, I mentioned that we have a guest today. That's why we moved the quiz, the all important quiz that happens on Friday. TGIF, uh, by the way, my mom's got COVID. What a bummer. She's all right, though, and I hope she doesn't, you know, come after me for HIPAA, TJF. And maybe you're missing a Friday quiz. Go back to Wednesday's episode. It's there. I named right fielders since 1990. It was a blast. Jake Lamb was a very important piece uh, in that quiz. But again, today, very important. We have a guest. We're, welcome, we're welcoming someone into our home. This is a very, very important day. We already had Mike over, but that's like having, you know, honestly, a brother over. It's, 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 it's normal. But this is a guest. This is Jordan Lazowski, editor-in-chief of Socks on 35th. You can follow him on Twitter at jlazowski14. That is L-A-Z-O-W-S-K-I. Go follow him. He's got great stuff. And one of his great things is his article. He's a great writer. And he wrote a piece called, it was homework, by the way. So if you missed the other you know, episodes on Monday and Wednesday, you had fair warning. So you might have missed some homework. The article Jordan wrote was called What Happened to Craig Kimbrell on the White Sox. This is an editor's note. This is me. I'm the editor. And I would edit that title to say what happened to Craig Kimbrell on the White Sox because he stunk, you know? So I talked to Jordan about that. Did he really stink? Should we be worried about his stink? How, how stinky is this situation? We figure it out with Jordan. Now, Jordan and I talked through this thing the lockdown people gave me. It's called uh, Restream, and it's that's going to allow me to have some video. So we're, we're in a YouTube channel fired up here real soon. I'll get the details out to you as soon as I get that up and running. But through Restream, you know, it's, a little, it's a little Zoom thing, basically. You know, Jordan joins the room. I, I talk to him. And I got to be honest, I'm not thrilled with my connection. It didn't sound the greatest, so I want to apologize. But Jordan is a very professional person, very professional writer, and he had a very, very high-quality sounding setup. So shout out to Jordan for that. Very fun interview to do with him. I'll be popping in and out to talk to you about some uh, some bills I got to pay. But again, this is Jordan Lazowski and I's conversation about Craig Kimbrell and other White Sox tidbits. You can follow him on Twitter at jlazowski14. He's the editor-in-chief of Sox on 35th, and we start the conversation off with his reaction to the Craig Kimbrell trade at the deadline. That's the type of move that you look for World Series teams to make. 
that that's the move that every team kind of has one of those when they're going out. If you look at Verlander a few years back with the Astros, or even look at Chapman back with the Cubs when they initially won the World Series, everyone makes that one move that really says, hey, we are serious about competing. And it hurts a little bit in the cost department. And that's kind of what a lot of Sox fans focused on. But for me and for a lot of fans, the initial reaction was, wow, they really think that this is the year to go and do it. And they're doing it by trying to shorten the game as much as possible. If you can get five solid innings out of your starters, six, seven, eight, nine are basically locked down between Kimbrell and the holdovers of Hendricks to pair guys like that. So that, that was the theory. So at the time, it's like, wow, you know, it might hurt in the long term, but in the short term, this is what you want to see them doing. Now, looking back in hindsight, maybe they went a little bit too bold, maybe with the, the Kimbrell piece, because we saw how effective Tapera was. And mm-hmm. even going into the season, I don't think they had these this expectation that they would need to add to the bullpen. Aaron Bummer thought they'd go 90-0 whenever they had the, right. uh, you know a lead after the fifth inning. You know, Not a lot of people were expecting them to add to the bullpen. It, it is kind of shocking, though. I think the, the bold move is going to bite them in the um, What do you think about that? Do you think that now heading into 2022 where they're unsure of Kimbrell's role, um, do you think they regret that trade? I, it depends on how the front office views it. I think if you view it from a hindsight perspective, yes, they regret it because, you know, again, hindsight's 2020. Kimbrell probably wasn't necessary with what Tapero was going to do. But at that time, it's the exact type of move that you want your team to make in those scenarios that you're expecting the team to make and, and go out and make that splash and really say, Hey, we're serious about making this our year and getting into the playoffs. So I don't, from my perspective, I don't think they should regret it as much. I, I think the cost of it was also part of the farm system stinks right now. So you, you knew it was going to have to come from the major league level. I, I think it's less than ideal given that Kimberl's likely on another team come next year. But regret's a hard word because at the time, that's exactly the move teams that want to win a World Series are going to make. Like looking at him, and I think this is what your article did a great job of doing, was I watched him a ton when I was producing Cubs games. You could see that his stuff was there, right? High velocity. And the stuff looked the same on the White Sox. It just looked like he wasn't getting the same results. But you look at the Caper 9, and, and his Caper 9 was higher on the Sox. So he was still effective in ways... Before you went into this article, what were you expecting to find? What was wrong with Craig Kimbrell? What happened to Craig Kimbrell on the White Sox? What were you expecting to find? I expected, and it was more so watching, it came from watching the games. I expected some of what I wrote about, which was the mechanics just flew out of whack. Because you saw almost every game, whether it was the curveball or the fastball, everything's pulling glove side. So everything's ended up in the left-handed batter's box when he's trying to hit the outside corner. Like, that doesn't signal, oh, he's pitching in the eighth inning instead of the ninth. That's why. That signals something's wrong with your mechanics. When you're flying open like that and pulling the ball, like, you're losing part of your effectiveness. That was the biggest thing I expected to see. I I think when you look at some of the velocity behind it and and some of the fatigue that might be built in, I think that becomes more of like a chicken-the-egg argument. Did the fatigue cause the mechanics? Were the mechanics part of the – like what was sort of the order in which that happened? But I think the only thing I was really expecting was, hey, he was pulling things glove side a lot, and that signals mechanics. Yeah, and it it is such a tough just sample size to judge because you look at 2019, he starts off the season, you know, not signed in spring training, joining the Cubs midseason. 
Then in 2020, obviously abbreviated season for everybody, um, but he pitches less innings in, in, in 2020 than he did in 2019. And then it feels like, you know, in 2021, after he gets a normal offseason where he gets to work out and he's expecting 162, it felt like he really had that sign of uh, life kind of come, come back into him. Um, do you think it was a fatigue issue at the end of the day? Because you ramp up to that level of innings, it just seemed like, you know, right at the trade deadline, that's when his body started to, you know, give out on him. I do. I do think, and I don't know if any player will admit this. I certainly wouldn't. I, I do think fatigue played an issue because when you look at, you know, he, this was his first full season since 2018. And when you're 33, 34 years old and, and sort of on the back half of your career, things affect you a little bit more than they might have earlier on. So having him pitch the same amount of innings with the Cubs in 2021 as he did with the Cubs combined in 2019 and 2020, like that's about what his body was ready for in that moment. And you could see it between the decrease in fastball velocity and then just the uncharacteristic wildness that we saw at times from him. It, it didn't look like the same Craig Kimbrell. And, and that, that has to go beyond just the eighth inning versus the ninth inning argument. That There was something deeper there. And when you look at the fastball velo, I think the first thing you point to is just general fatigue when you look at the historical numbers. Let's give a salute to general fatigue and let's give a salute to the new year. New Year's resolutions. We all got them. One of my resolutions is to be more active. Go to the gym at least four times a week. Get some cardio in. Another one is to have more guests on the podcast. Maybe you don't have a podcast. Maybe you do have a podcast, but maybe you also have a resolution about getting fit or eating healthier. If it is, make sure to include Bilt Bar in your plan. Bilt Bar is the protein bar that tastes like a candy bar, maybe even better than a candy bar. Bilt Bar makes it easier to stick to your resolution because it tastes so good, you'll want to eat it, unlike other protein bars which can be chalky or waxy or taste like chemical spill. I love the taste of Bilt Bars, and I love that a typical Bilt Bar contains 130 calories, 4 grams of sugar, 4 net carbs, and 17 grams of protein. Compare that to a candy bar, which usually has around 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and a dozen net carbs. Go check out all of their amazing flavors like coconut almond, peanut butter brownie, raspberry, cookies and cream, salted caramel, mint brownie, and many more at Built.com. Use promo code LOCKED15 for, you guessed it, 15% off your order. Again, use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at Built.com. There's probably two boogeymen I see too in your article, like the idea that White Sox game calling is possibly worse. Um, We've heard this with the departure of James McCann and how Lucas Giolito loved to throw to James McCann. And people think that, hey, maybe just Yaz isn't a good game caller. And then the other one would be the eighth inning or ninth inning situation that you brought up as well uh, a little bit earlier in the podcast. Um, I first want to go to the game calling. Uh, Do you, buy into that because I say I see Patrick Nolan today on Twitter he's putting Yaz in tier two of most important White Sox players I agree with them um but right. I mean do, do you do you notice anything with game calling when it comes to Yaz and new pitchers that are coming to the south side it's hard really to to pinpoint that game uh that game calling piece I, I wrote a thing on Yaz quite a while ago and kind of said hey maybe there's something here that's a little bit different then, you know, maybe he has a typical scheme he follows based on the player that is hitting versus McCann might have 
build his scheme more around how the pitcher's feeling. I think a good example of that was, you know, when McCann had Giolito throw nine straight or 12 straight, whatever it was, changeups. Right. Like, no one's prepared in the gameplay for that, but that was his pitch that day, and McCann adjusted. Maybe Grandal doesn't do that as frequently. It doesn't make it a bad game-calling strategy. No, not necessarily, but maybe it just doesn't adapt as much. Going back to Kimbrel, though, and just newer pitchers on the south side in general, it kind of depends on the age. You know, Kimbrel's an established veteran relief pitcher, and he only has two pitches. So it's like right. you can only do so much with it. When you look at the numbers, there's some variability here and there, but not a ton. So when you get to more of a veteran-type player, I think game calling is going to matter a bit less because the veteran's going to know what they want, and they're going to call the game, and they're going to have more – leeway over how the game is called and maybe a rookie pitcher would i didn't prep you for this question but uh working with matt spiegel he always kind of talked about the craig kimbrell change up are, are you buying into anything that you know if looking at all of this data you obviously ran a, through a lot of craig kimbrell pitch data um he, he never used a change up but matt spiegel mm-hmm. thinks that you know if, if craig kimbrell ever adds the change up he'll become you know this this next level uh, of a reliever um are you buying into anything about the, the two pitches that you say do you think he needs to add a third pitch in, in this later age or do you think he can get by on just the fastball knuckle curve it depends on if the answer to the article truly was fatigue or is it that just age and ineffectiveness is starting to come in right if I mean, it is still, he's fast- striking out 14 yeah. uh, you know Agreed. 14 per nine so there's still some effectiveness in, in the two pitches. exactly there's absolutely still effectiveness there, but if it's trending in the direction of, you know, the fastball's losing a little bit of life and because of his arm slot, you know, you don't get much of that natural rise to it. Then maybe you consider, Hey, if I want to stay this level of effectiveness, maybe I add that change. up. If it's not broke, don't fix it. Like that's kind of how the approach I would take with someone like Kimbrell. But if he's seeing his stuff starting to not deteriorate, but decline over time, Maybe that's something he should consider. But at least for now, if we're assuming fatigue, probably not necessary, but would be nice to add into. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned in the article, you referred to it as the narrative. I, I say boogeyman. <laughs> same, same thing. The eighth inning stuff. I thought it was complete garbage. And this is why I loved your article was because it, it basically proves that it's garbage. It, it's mechanics. It's fatigues. It's mm-hmm. it's true real life stuff outside of, you know, this baseball player doesn't work in an inning uh, or a specific right. inning. Um, what, what did you find in, in that data that that stuck out to you about the narrative about the eighth inning? Because there's there is some, you know, ERA numbers that that could show he's worse in the eighth inning. But I mean, overall, I don't think it matters. I mean, it's two things. Number one, if he doesn't pitch in the eighth inning a lot, like if you give up a run, that's naturally going to inflate your ERA. Right. Like if you give up one run in one inning, that's a nine ERA. That's like that, that's really not terrible. And this so is like, coming, and, and this is coming from a Sox math champion, so you can trust his math on this. <laughs> exactly. One, one run, yeah. One I run in do one inning math. does yeah nine 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 ERA. <laughs> so it's like when you look at that and you look at the sample size. Number one. That's why kind of ERA is a little bit misleading because the sample size is smaller. That being said, if we were looking at Craig Kimbrell and the stuff didn't change and the mechanics didn't change and you still saw this drastic difference in ERA, okay, maybe there's something to that narrative. But at the same time, this is a Hall of Fame type relief pitcher. Like to, to, to say that 
the the situation changes how he approaches it, I just can't buy into that because this is a guy who throughout his career has established himself as a premium outgetter, as Liam Hendricks likes to say. You, you do a disservice, in my opinion, to the player when you say he can only pitch in this specific inning, in this specific situation, and outside of that, he's like any regular uh, mop-up man in the bullpen. So it's like it kind of does a disservice to the player on top of just – there's nothing to back it up in this specific situation because he was just a different pitcher with the White Sox and in and, and not such a great way. Right. And this isn't to bust toss Jose Ruiz here, but like a Jose Ruiz right. fastball looks completely different than a Craig Kimbrell fastball. And like, right. I don't I don't think a Craig Kimbrell fastball in the eighth inning compared to the ninth inning is going to look any different to, you know, any hitter. But it, it, it's, it is the narrative, like you say, and it, it, you, you have to talk about it just because it is very easy just to go to right away. You see a big number. And you immediately just go, oh, well, he's bad there. Um, I want to ask about some of the problems that have been caused now by the the, the Kimberl trade. Um, second base, uh, you, you look at Zips. Uh, Dan Samborski's Zips is projecting Nick mm-hmm. Magical to be worth 2.3 war. Um, and he's projecting the White Sox, you know, group of second basemen to put up about 1.3 war. Um, and then you compare that to Hoyer expected to be about, you know, the same pitcher per Zips as Craig Kimbrell. Um how much did this set the White Sox back, do you think, looking at 2022 and looking at the current free agent and trade market? Yeah, it's an interesting question because it it kind of depends on what you consider to be the highest priority heading into this offseason. When you look at second base as a whole, there and around the league, there, there's not many top-tier second basemen. There's a few and they're already on really good teams, or in the case of Marcus Simeon, they've already been signed for astronomical amounts of money that the White Sox were never going to pay anyway. So when you look at that, it becomes, you know, would you rather be the best or, or among the best at a weaker position or be among the best at, at a stronger position around the leagues within the outfield situation? So with second base, it's a hole, obviously. Leary Garcia is the projected starter. That's a hole. But at, at the same time, Unless you're shopping at the top of the market, it, it doesn't make sense, in my opinion, to prioritize second base because you can sign the Cesar Hernandez's types of the world. There's plenty of those types of players still available and get league average production at that position. It's nothing beautiful. And Nick Magical might be able to provide you more than what you're going to get at second base. But it's it, I don't view it personally as the biggest hole on the roster. But it does create a long-term one unless a guy like Jose Rodriguez or Romy Gonzalez really show that they can tie down the position long-term. And the biggest hole you think would be right field? I do. I, I okay. think it's the White Sox version of the boogeyman that they can't solve since the first at, first round of Adam Eaton days. <laughs> I, uh, I yesterday or not yesterday Wednesday I I'm, only, I'm down to three episodes uh, a week now so I keep saying yesterday as the last uh, <laughs> podcast I recorded uh, but on Wednesdays I, I moved my Friday quizzes to Wednesday and I tried to name all the right fielders uh, since 1990 um, there was 177 of them and I think nine just in 2021 so right I mean I, I forgot mean, Luis Gonzalez was even on the team last year <laughs> it's it's a huge issue that Again, when you look at some of the top outfielders around the league and some of the top outfielders still available, they're going to give you much more production than you're going to get at second base right now. Second base was really semi-inner bust because guys like Story and Baez, 
they were going to sign to play shortstop and Tim Anderson wasn't going to move off shortstop. So that, that was the, that, that was a situation you really couldn't do anything about. There, there's still plenty of premium options that are going to give you more than you can get at second base right now. So prioritize that position as a result and Which, lock it down and make it not that boogeyman where you got to name 177 of them or however many you said in a nine year or in, in a long span. So, right. Shout, shout out to Jacob May. Um, I, I would say, <laughs> so sorry, I have to interrupt your Jacob May conversation, boys, but I need to tell you that Bet Online would like to wish you a happy new betting year as we continue our march to the playoffs and beyond. I know I need a new betting year because 2021 wasn't so good to the wallet. You know what I'm saying? But 2021 was good to bet online because it remains the number one spot for all the best sports wagering action for 2022. New year and new updated desktop. I'm looking at it right now on betonline.ag. You could also visit the mobile website, betonline.ag, to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code Locked On to get started. Again, I'm on the new updated website, and I'm seeing all the, the teasers and parlays I could possibly put together with a Saturday leg of the NFL schedule. Like, that's that's tempting. And Bet Online is the fastest and easiest way to wager on all your favorite sports. Again, go to betonline.ag, sign up today, and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use the promo code Locked On. Bet online where the game starts. Who's the guy in right field, in your opinion? It's more unpopular than I thought it was going to be, but my my guy is Michael Conforto. I, okay. I think he fills a need as a left-handed bat, gets on base plenty, will hit for power, maybe doesn't hit for as much average, but finds his way on base, finds some way to drive and runs. I, I think that sort of complements the White Sox lineup perfectly. And that's a left-handed hitter, high on-base percentage guy. They're still looking for those types of players. And I think he complements what they do as a lineup as a whole pretty well. What do you think about Schwarber? Because that's that's the name that I, I, I'm fine with Conforto. If they sign Conforto, again, that's a top-10 right fielder. It, and I'm happy that the White Sox are going and, and playing in that type of market. Um, but I like Kyle Schwarber. I think that if you put him in guaranteed right field, um, the park factors show that I think him – with that right field distance or whatever, just the, the way that the wind carries out to right field, um, I, I really think that he could be like, you know, a good Adam Dunn, uh, possibly. Uh, what do you think about Schwarber on the Sox? Schwarber, as a player, fits that profile. High OBP, left-handed hitter, would complement the lineup. What you would have to do, though, is probably be committed to Andrew Vaughn in right field and, and Kyle Schwarber as a DH because – Kyle Schwarber is not an outfielder. He's never been one, and to put him and Eloy Jimenez in the same outfield is asking a lot of Luis Robert. So right. I would say that's a move that makes sense if you're willing to commit to Andrew Vaughn as your opening day right fielder. I think if they were more of an aggressive, shifting team, I think that Andrew Vaughn in right field would be fine. Uh, but I, I don't know if that, with their manager, with the current setup, and the way that you know that their shift percentage decreased uh, with his uh, you know arrival. I don't know if it's going to work, but that's in my mind just because DH is an issue too, and, and, right. and Schwarber in a way can solve that uh, if, if if you need him to. Uh, let's go to Kimbrel uh, back to him just because I think that they should trade him, get prospects, build up the the prospect pool, so they're not screwed again like you know with with Nick Madrigal leaving. I, I think that 
you know, the idea of Craig Kimbrell for Gene Segura, I just don't think it's going to happen. Um, how do you see him playing out this offseason, Craig Kimbrell? I know you said that you think you expect him to be on a different team. What are you expecting his market to look like? I still expect him to have a decent market. I, I don't think there are too many teams that would turn down the opportunity to have him near the back end of the bullpen. It just happens that the White Sox don't need that to be him right now. I think Rick Hahn can make a convincing narrative and a, hey, he was just tired. He pitched in the eighth inning, like kind of make something up that maybe he doesn't necessarily believe, but is good enough to convince teams to take him on. And I think the prospect route probably makes the most sense. I, I've pushed for more of that Segura Kimbrel swap just because it's a swap of salaries and that's more likely to get uh, approved on both mm-hmm. sides rather than trying to find the right prospects and the right amount of dollars going back and forth. But if right. they can make it to where it's maybe they take on half of Kimbrel's salary and, and get some decent prospects in return, I, I think that helps push down the line of, you know, if we need to make another move at the offseason, let's see if there's anybody intriguing at that point in the system. Would you be excited about their bullpen if they lose Kimbrel? Because I, I've, it seems thinnish, especially without Tapera uh, th- this year. I, I think. Graveman obviously is a, a very good piece, and I think you have seven, eight, nine locked down, but it does it does still seem a little thin. Do you think losing Kimbrel would make it? Obviously, it would make it more thin. Um, but do you think it's dangerous how thin it could possibly make it? Yes and no. I think there's enough middle relievers like Ryan Tapera who you can sign and make it feel less dangerous. Um, I, I think because of you know. You look at it from an economic standpoint, you know, maximizing your team's output with given constraints. And the constraint is the budget. And we don't know what that number is. It's not the salary cap. We know it's lower than that. So does paying $16 million for Kimbrel make sense for this team? Probably not. Just paying for Kimbrel in general makes sense, yes. But this team maybe just would be better suited putting that $16 million elsewhere. Maybe sign Ryan to Para and... Ryan Tapera version two, like two guys right. of that ilk who make up still $16 million, but do it as two players instead of one, if that makes sense. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, you see Graveman side for eight, eight million. I, I think Tapera would get similar. And there's, like you said, there's a, a ton of those guys out there, but Kimbrell, you know, only a couple of guys have 300 plus saves. Um, right. The other guy I want to talk about, you love him. I love him. I think Matt Zawoski loves him too. Uh, Dylan Cease. I think that he has the best chance to win AL Cy Young uh, out of the the White Sox pitchers uh, in 2022. You had a great piece talking about his changes, uh, especially after his April struggles. How do you view him, especially after a strong finish to 2021? What are you expecting from Dylan Cease in 2022? I I expect, and it's my bold prediction, AL Cy Young winner. I I genuinely believe he has the stuff. And you've seen it. Like I, I am... I am the biggest Dylan Cease propaganda man there is. Don't get me wrong. But you you saw it throughout the year. I, I, I mean, you, the biggest thing coming into this year for Cease was, you know, move from just being a high velo guy to someone who can command his stuff a little bit better and, and gets a little bit more life on his fastball. And he made those adjustments. Step two is, you know, now that you're more consistently getting 0-2, 1-2, don't turn it into 2-2, two, 3-2, two, two, right. and then a walk. Like, trust your stuff. You you see when he gets in those zones where he trusts his stuff and doesn't try to nibble and make the perfect pitch that he's wildly successful. I think I think it was Beefloaf who tweeted out a few weeks ago that, 
had the highest strikeout rate amongst AL starters in the second half of the season. That's how good he can be. It's about taking that next step and saying, hey, I fixed my stuff. It, it now plays a lot better, especially my fastball. Now that next step is stop turning 0-2-1-2 into 2-2-3-2, get deeper into games, stay ahead of guys, and don't let them back into counts. Yeah, you, you, the aggressiveness is mm-hmm. it just you see the stuff. It's You could just say the stuff for Dylan Cease, and I think that summarizes him enough because that fastball is just so lively. That slider right. and curveball are so disgusting. Um, like, I just – I don't understand how Major League Baseball players hit in general, especially then when Dylan right. Cease's <laughs> stuff is thrown at you. I really don't understand that. And I exactly. think he really uh, just started to understand that, that, like, guys really can't hit this stuff. It's just disgusting. Right. Um, and I'm, I'm really excited to, to – to, are you worried that this lockout might hurt him? Because I, I read the piece from uh, – Fox Sports talking about how Lucas Giolito isn't able to talk to Ethan Katz. And I'm a little worried that Dylan Cease might be hurt by this. Um, is that a worry at all on you? Or do you think that he just left on such a, a high note in, in 2021? Astros game was fine. Um, mm-hmm. do, you, do you expect him to have any hiccups or do you expect him just to be you know coming off of that high and, and be fine? I will say this, the, the worst day of my life was sitting there and games or innings two and three of game three of the ALDS. I'm like, oh my, that high that I was on from first inning and then how it changed. But I, I'm hoping the lockout is one of those situations where it's they can't talk to the players, quote unquote, right? versus truly not talking to them. Because I, I think it hurts everybody to not be able to talk with their pitching coach and I keep establishing that relationship, especially since they didn't have much of that personal one-on-one time during the pandemic before 2021 and even parts of 2020. So it's like you're, you're trying to establish a relationship with your newish still pitching coach and you're having a hard time doing that in person. I'm hoping it's at least they can have some not noticeable conversations, but I, I do think it hurts. It, it doesn't necessarily hurt, but it doesn't help if that makes sense. If Dylan Cease came out and threw how he did second half of the year, we'd say that's good, but we would have expected a bit more progress. And you can probably tie that back to off-season work. Absolutely. Jordan, I appreciate your time. Jordan is the editor-in-chief over at Sox on 35th. Go check them out. What do you guys got going on? I know you guys just paired up with Sox in the Basement podcast. Shout out Chris Lanuti, uh, Evergreen Park guy. Us, us Southsiders need to stick together. Uh, so uh, what, what do you guys got going on? Uh, what, why should people check you out, Sox on 35th? Yeah, so we with the partnership with Sox in the Basement, they're kind of doing the podca- podcast side of things. We're doing the um, blog side of things, so. If you're big into the analytics and the articles and even just a, a wide, wide range of all types of articles, we're, we're going to be doing a ton of that this offseason. We added a ton of writers right before the season ended, all very ready to go and very passionate about what they're doing and putting out a lot of good stuff. So whether it's on the podcast side or on the blog side, there, there's plenty to offer there. And I think, like you said, that partnership with Chris, Chris Lanuti and Ed Siebert, they're great guys. Can't wait to continue to working with them. But also very excited about some of the writing we're going to be doing over on our side. I'm excited for Socks on 35th too, and for Socks in the Basement. It's a really exciting merger right there, you know, help each other out, and they both have great content. So if it's just going to lead to their content being seen more, then I'm all for it. Again, you could check out the website, SocksOn35th.com, S-O-X-O-N, 35th.com. You can follow Jordan on Twitter. Go follow Jordan 
on Twitter, at jlazowski14. And you can follow Socks on 35th on Twitter. You guessed it, at Socks on 35th. Thank you very much to Jordan for joining me. I really, really loved having him on the show. Hope you enjoyed it as well. I really will make sure that my internet is better the next time I do a little guest through Restream. I'm sorry if the quality uh, did bug you. It, it bugs me. Maybe I just listen to my stuff a little bit too loud. And again, I am probably just too sensitive to this anyways with my job and everything. So hopefully it didn't bother you. Go enjoy your weekend. It's Friday, TJF. Call in 312-566-8727. Got the Monday mailbag. You guessed it, on Monday. Or you could write in LockedOnSocks at gmail.com. Again, huge thanks to Jordan Lazowski and huge thanks to you. Thank you for making Lockdown Socks your first listen each and every day. Now go make your second listen Locked On Bets, your daily one-stop shop for all your gambling needs. Locked On Bets, hosted by your boy Q with expert analysis and insight from Lee Sterling. It's free and available on all platforms. I will talk to you on Monday on Locked On Socks.